Welcome to episode 14 of Lil Muck, a tiny slice of the Muck podcast where we talk to people in the media and politics about their favorite stories or experiences. I'm Tina Jaramillo. And I'm Hillary Dockery. Hillary, tell us about today's guest. Awesome. Okay, so today we are interviewing attorney Jason Blank. Jason joined Jason H. Hobart. Haber, oh God, I'm going to mess that up. I'm so sorry. To form Haber Blank LLP to provide effective and strategic representation to clients. Jason's practice focuses on the Florida election law as well as criminal defense trial and appeals. Prior to establishing Haber Blank LLP, Jason served as a Broward County Assistant Public Defender. Yay, we love public defenders. Handling all levels of criminal cases. In the course of his Florida election law practice, Jason has served as a Broward County Counsel for the Florida Democratic Party's Voter Protection Team since 2008, where he oversees hundreds of hundreds of volunteer lawyers to ensure that every eligible voter in Broward County who wants to be who wants to is able to cast their ballot. Additionally, Jason represents elected officials and their campaigns across the state of Florida. He has been involved in numerous recounts ranging from the 2018 Senate commissioner of agriculture and various state house seats to local races for city circuit court judge, mayor and commissioner commission across Florida. He is part of legal teams that have litigated various election law and election rights issues in both the federal and state courts, including cases against our favorite person ever, President Trump, the Florida Secretary of State, and against Palm Beach County Supervisor of Elections. Oh, my God. I don't think of anybody who's had a stacked resume like yes. this before. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so good. Jason, thank you so much for being here with us. Well, thanks so much for having me. I got to tell you, every uh, after hearing you read off that, that you know, <laughs> quote, short bio, I feel much more important than I am. You must be. And it sounds like you should be exhausted. Well, yes, but not not nearly as much as those people who worked on the ground. But mm. uh, it, it it was a long week. Yeah, <laughs> I bet. So um, let me. We're just gonna jump right in, and I wanted to know, like, are you surprised at the number of lawsuits that Trump has filed to date? No, not at all. <laughs> Can you tell uh, us and, a, and, a little bit about those lawsuits? Yeah, I mean, I so so. Let me kind of qualify that answer. No, because it's Trump, and we all kind of just know how uh, what his mindset is, but. In any election, and especially in, in large-scale elections, whether they're statewide or at the national level, you're going to see litigation, especially in a close race. It's just the fighting nature of politicians, right? You know, mm -hmm. if they think they have a shot, they have a right to legally, uh, you know, have those questions answered, whatever it might be. Uh, you know, unfortunately for the American public, the lawsuits that, that President Trump and his team are bringing this cycle just in my humble opinion, are frivolous. They have real no basis um, in law, and they just realistically uh, are not going to be successful. Um, we've seen, um, at, at least the, the ones that are currently pending, we, we've seen some lawsuits earlier on challenging, um, you know, certain legislative actions in the, in the states dealing with vote-by-mail ballots, and, you know, maybe those had some, some merit, um, you know, in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, even California and New Jersey, you know, there was a lot of change. There was a lot of change in the vote by mail process in those states. We here in Florida are used to this. We've been doing vote by mail for years. We, we are used to having the vote by mail ballots counted before election day for years. Right. These states, they're not. So that's, that's a novel idea for them. And so it, it did not surprise me that they would challenge them. Now what we're seeing are, uh, you know, attempts to grasp at straws by the Trump administration, um, you know, to challenge things like, how close an observer is permitted to get mm. to a counting table. Um, normally that would be a valid argument if 
they were in a position that they couldn't observe. But from my mm-hmm. understanding of those those suits in Pennsylvania, that wasn't the case. So now they're just filing lawsuits to file lawsuits, and, right. and that's just that's just not right. It, is there any particular lawsuit that you're most concerned with? No, point? because they're all going to be dismissed. So I really don't have any any issue with them. Um, what I can tell you is I'm concerned with the premise that the president's legal actions in an attempt to you know, make a grand last stand is understood by many Americans to be a valid challenge to what they believe is a fraudulent process. Mm. It demeans the voting process to bring these types of frivolous lawsuits. This is not a situation like we saw in 2000 here in Florida, where there was a question of law as to how do you determine the voter's intent? Right. This is not a situation like in 2018 where lawsuits brought by lawyers like me were brought because we were concerned the recounts wouldn't survive the time frames under Florida law. And mm-hmm. we wanted to ensure that every vote was counted. These are simply lawsuits to try to push a false narrative of widespread voter fraud, which demeans the process, undermines our, 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 our trust in the electoral system and really is, is a shame. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, but it's in line with Trump, right? Like that's been his goal the entire time running his campaign yes. from the beginning, the first election. Right. I mean, this is what he's done is push false narratives the entire time. I mean, I, I, it's yeah. just shocking that we're still doing this and he's still trying to fight. Right. Someone said this to me last night. Well, they're going to still count votes. I'm like, but in no way, shape or form is he going to win. So yeah. why are you still thinking about counting votes? It makes no sense. But I wanted to ask you, since you are in Broward County, um, were you happy that we didn't really have a lot of issues here or are there things that we don't know? Because, you know, yeah, usually, yeah, usually, usually we're in the, the spotlight. Yeah, we're the, the, the brunt of every joke or the, you know, of like, this is the worst place to be counting votes in Florida or probably in the, in the country is Broward. Are you surprised, pleasantly surprised at how seemingly easy it, it was this, this, uh, election cycle? So in my position as uh, one of the lead counsel for the Democratic Party's voter protection team, we work closely with the supervisor of elections. And I can tell you that leading into this this general election cycle, we saw and anticipated that things were going to go more smoothly. Um, you know, we, we, of course, had questions about Supervisor Antonacci being an appointed, uh, you mm-hmm. know, person yes. from a, a Republican governor. There was, of course, questions. But one thing that, that Pete, you know, made clear right off the bat was, he was not going to diminish anything that Dr. Snipes had put in place when she was in office, meaning he wasn't going to cut back early voting days. He wasn't going to you know, make it harder to vote. Um, he was essentially going to follow in her footsteps, but make sure that the work was done more efficiently. And candidly, I have to say that for the most part, he followed through on that. Um, I, I, I am not surprised that it went so smoothly. We were very pleasantly, uh, you know, encouraged by that. Mm -hmm. There were some issues that we believed needed to get greater attention and should have been remedied in certain ways. These are many, you know, to some extent are things that we've been bringing to that office's attention for for cycle after cycle after cycle. Um, But overall, we were very pleased with the way that the process went. Do you think, and and this is, um, I'm just very excited at the possibility, but do you think that Trump will be indicted Immediately after leaving the White House, <laughs> do you think that this will come from the state level, you know, from New York or from a federal level? Or do you think that he'll just, you know, ride off into the sunset? Yeah. So, you know, it's an interesting question. And the reason why is I think that we have to look at this kind of from two angles, right? 
Is there a legal basis for him to be federally indicted? I believe there is. I think 100% there are at least one or two um, situations where most likely he would be indicted. I can't say for sure, but I think the Department of Justice could go after him. Do I think that will happen? No, I do not. I think Mm. that it sets, I think federally it sets a very dangerous precedent, a very dangerous political precedent to go after a president for acts while he was in office, even once he leaves. as dangerous as I think President Trump has been, as disgusting as I think President Trump has been, as offensive as I think President Trump and his administration have been, I still believe that we have to, sometimes you have, you have to take that high road to protect the institution. Mm. Now, that being said, the states have every right to indict whoever they wish, yes. and it doesn't, you know, there is no federal protection. And I do believe that no one is above the law, and we need to make a point that that is real. So if the Southern District of New York were to pass it off to the Attorney General of the state of New York to take action under the laws of the state of New York against Donald Trump for tax evasion or tax yes. issues or, you know, some other some other violation of the campaign finance laws in the state of New York, I think that they, number one, should go after him. And I, I think that that, if he is going to be indicted, it's the most likely route for that to occur. Right, through New York. And Rudy Giuliani, do you think that that would be part of, of, of Trump's dream team um, uh, heading back well, into New York and, and having some? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Rudy, Rudy's a character, right? You know, you've, you've got so many different angles with him, um, especially in light of some of the newer intelligence reports that, that he was a known potential asset for the Russian government. Um you know, what I, what I think you've seen even under the Department of Justice with, with Barr there, um, and, and let's keep in mind that although the uh, nominated and confirmed United States attorneys in each of the districts are technically answering to the attorney general, they still are their individual lawyers, right? They run their own mm-hmm. offices. They absolutely can indict whoever they want. What we've seen, of course, throughout the Trump presidency is – many of his associates and and confidants being indicted. I think it is more likely that Rudy Giuliani, if there is believed and found to be a violation of federal law for him to be indicted than the president. Mm. I do not believe that that's something that would be so frowned upon. Um, I think it's a different situation when you're talking about the president. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I would love to see it. Oh my God. (laughs) Me too. So let me ask you, you've worked on a bunch of cases here in Florida. Is there one in particular that was the most interesting to you as a lawyer? Yeah. So there were, there were really two. Um, I think the first one uh, on the, on the more local level, uh, actually in in 2018, I was representing a house uh, candidate up in Palm beach County and it was the only house race in Palm beach County that was uh, up for a recount. It was one of, I think three house races across the state that were in a recount. And as you know, Palm Beach County, much like Broward, was kind of a cluster. And, um, (laughs) you know, they had old machines that were just slow and, you know, Republican Uh. observers accidentally dropping paper clips in the machines and burning them out. Things happen. I I joke. I joke. (laughs) You know, um, but there was a paper clip dropped in a machine that that shut it down. Anyway, long story short, um, we had to actually sue the canvassing board in Palm Beach and the supervisor of elections. Uh, to ensure that our race was counted first in the recount because otherwise we were concerned they were taking so long to recount the Senate 
and the Commission of Agriculture, then my client would never have his race recounted. And we were behind. So we wanted to get those ballots. At the time, I think we were behind by 23 votes. Oh, Um, my God. And uh, the canvassing board said, look, there's no law, there's no regulation, there's no guidance as to which order we're supposed to do these recounts. So they made a decision that they had to follow the order of the races on the ballot. So they said, mm. first, we're going to do U.S. Senate, then we're going to do Commissioner of Agriculture, or then, I'm sorry, then we'll do Governor, and then we'll do Commissioner of Agriculture. Right. So you're, you're last in line, Mr. Blank. Ugh. And we said, well, that's not fair because my client's district is completely within the confines of Palm Beach. Mm. You have an obligation to the voters of Palm Beach County. Oh. Uh, so we sued in federal court up in Tallahassee. Uh, and we got, uh, after hearing, we, we had an order from the court saying, you know what? You 100% can be counted first. They absolutely have an obligation to the voters of Palm Beach County. And if that district is completely within the confines of Palm Beach County, the canvassing board can choose which order they want to do the recount. Now, we did this knowing that the canvassing board liked us and liked me, and they wanted to count us first. They just didn't believe that they had a legal basis to do so. Mm -hmm. Well, as soon as that federal court, as soon as that federal judge said, canvassing board, you can do whatever you want. You can count however you want. They said, you know what? We think it's best for us to protect the voters of Palm Beach County. We're going to count that race first. Wow. So we ended up winning. That's County. Unfortunately, we didn't win uh, oh, the yeah. race, but uh, but we won the battle. So that was kind of fun. That yeah. is awesome. The, uh, it's so close. Sorry, the, but the other one is really fun because uh, just because we all like trashing on Trump, right? Yes. So uh, <laughs> you might recall early on in the Trump presidency, um, he put together this, you know, quote unquote, voter fraud panel led oh, by Chris Kobach God. and a bunch of other jokers who we're trying to claim widespread voter fraud. Um, well, I joined on a group of lawyers here in South Florida who brought suit against the president, uh, claiming that they violated a slew of federal laws uh, in the, putting together and, and asserting this false voter fraud uh, panel. And ultimately, in joining with the ACLU and a group called Epic and, and a couple of other lawsuits, uh, we forced them to shut down that voter fraud panel. So, wow. so we were, yeah, we were very excited that. and very proud. Yeah, to yes. be part of part of the part of the narrative to stop you know that bullshit. You're, yeah. you're a superhero, man. Oh, God, I mean, <laughs> and the serious. fact that they would put a panel together when oh, historically please. there's so little evidence of of voter of actual voter fraud. Fucking ridiculous. It, it's ridiculous. So, uh, well, okay. So ridiculous. Here's, here's the thing too, though. It's like getting back to the canvassing board in the first, um, the first lawsuit you were, you were talking about. The amount of pressure that those folks feel, I feel like, you know, like yeah. think about Philadelphia, like Pennsylvania. They must have been like, you know, there was so much of the world like Georgia, pounding on the I door mean, yeah. saying, tell us what the answer is. And they're like opening each ballot. <laughs> like the amount of pressure to get that shit done is so in- incredible, right? Like I can't even imagine what that job would have been like right. in that, on that day. And I know they wanted, didn't they want to open the ballots, the Democrats there? Yes, and, the and it, got, it got shut down by yeah, through a lawsuit. Yeah, the Pennsylvania situation was really messed up, especially out there. You know, they, they the Democrats tried for months to get the legislature to allow them, hey, let's just open up and just spread out the ballots, make them nice yes. and flat so that when the polls close, we could just run them through the machine right. and get this count done. And the Republican legislature said, no, you know what, that that might lead to fraud. Yeah. Or, you know, we think that that might mean that actually every vote is counted and we don't want that. Yeah. So, you <laughs> know, they, they instead chose to push back and said, you cannot touch the ballot yeah. until uh, polls close at 8, yeah. 8 p.m. Wow. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. And I think a lot of people just don't realize that from state to state that there are these different mm-hmm. rules. And I think that was part of the issue and maybe why it was easy for them to keep pushing this issue of like the, the fraud and, and, and that the counts aren't accurate 
because I don't think people realize that in one state, like you said, in Florida, we can open and count them prior. And then in a state like Pennsylvania, you can't open them at all until after but even like election, how about like, you know, voting hours. But shouldn't the legislature like take that, take COVID into consideration? Like, hey, there is going to be yes. a record number of vote by mail uh, ballots being sent in. Maybe we should get ahead of this and like make a law, change the law so we can do this. And not, yeah, but that assumes that they want the votes counted. Yeah, that's true. You know, a lot, right, these, right. a lot of the, a lot of the, you know, let's let's keep in mind that, that the voting process is often politicized. You know, for mm. for as as much of a cluster as Florida is, we have actually some of the most progressive and strong election laws in the in the country. Yeah, we have a really good system that we've developed because we've screwed it up so much. <laughs> so when you see, you know, you see a lot of these states like Pennsylvania, Michigan, uh, Georgia, Nevada you know, taking forever. And candidly, they're not taking forever. Right. We're right. just not used to waiting. Right. We're just not used to seeing it. And a lot of people don't even know the laws of their own state. This is yes. the first time they've heard of any of these laws. I mean, mm-hmm. shit, I didn't know about the laws of Florida until I started practicing, you know, in voter protection work and mm-hmm. doing election law. It's just not something that people know. about. Yeah. So yeah. when you, when you think of it that way and then take into account that you have legislative bodies that are politicizing the voting process, and they do that by passing these types of laws. And, and you know, candidly, it's the GOP. It's the Republican yeah. Party. They are the ones suppressing the vote, making it harder. They're always the ones pushing it to try to shorten timelines, make it, it, it more difficult to access the ballot, make it more difficult to become a voter, to keep your voter registration, to actually be able to have your voice heard. When you when you look at it like that, the reality of it is they don't want to take COVID into account. They mm-hmm. don't want to give you the time necessary to speed the process up. They want to slow things down. If they can slow the voting process down, if they can slow the counting down, there's less of a chance of the Democratic majority having their voice heard. And that's that's just the trend we've seen across the nation. So speaking of like politicizing things like voting, uh, and you're here, so I'm going to ask you, how do you as a lawyer feel about how choosing Supreme Court nominees is completely politicized. You know, like I'm, listen, I know this is, is funny, but like I love Judge Judy, okay? She's my yes. favorite person on the whole earth. And <laughs> and even there was, we had, a, I had talked to somebody and they're like, well, you know, that's a show. And I'm like, stop it. It's real life. I love it. Oh my God. But she's very black and white. Like RBG was the same, same way. Like very black and white. There's no, it's the law. Like if yes. you're a, a lawyer and you're passionate about it, it's like we read the law, the, we're interpreting it for what was written and what it was, how it's supposed to be, what the intent was, right? And it seems like with the Supreme Court nominees, we want to make everything political. Like obviously, this latest one, um, Coney, Connie, whatever the fuck her name is, Coney Barrett. Coney Barrett. She, she, that's completely political. After getting the nomination, receiving it, she's put up. She goes right to the yeah, White House. Yeah, it was rushed through. Yeah, she goes to the White House for a party. That's political. Like, how do you feel about that as a lawyer? So. You know, it's, it's tough. I, I, I like to believe that all judges or almost all judges strive to do the best job they can as a neutral arbiter, right? They want to look at the law, look at the facts and ap- apply the law as, as they believe it should be applied. It doesn't mean that they all agree. You know, I'm, I'm known for saying, look, I don't have to always have a judge agree with me. I just want them to give me a damn answer. Right. You know, give me a ruling. Tell me what you think. Don't don't play games with me. Right. You know, we don't have to agree, but I'll respect you more if you just give me a ruling. Mm -hmm. When you look at the Supreme Court, it really is not designed to be a political body. But when you have a strong and I got to give credit where credit's due, when you have a strong leader like Mitch McConnell, who is probably one of the strongest politicians that we've seen in the Senate since LBJ, Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, he has surely used his power to influence the court in a way that we have not seen before. Right. We have to hope that even though the the process has become politicized, and, and probably never more so than with Judge Amy, Amy Klobuchar, mm-hmm. um, that the judges that sit on that bench, and and you know, we we really saw this with with Chief Justice Roberts. Um, I think he's doing a very good job of protecting the institution, mm-hmm. but we have to trust that they are going to be fair arbiters, right. even if we don't agree with what they or how they interpret the law, right. that they will be fair in doing so. And we saw a great example of this is really Justice Gorsuch. You know, Justice Gorsuch, we all thought was going to be, well, not we all, but I thought, like many others, was going to be a very, very uber conservative, Scalia-esque, actually more even so to- like Thomas Alito, yeah. um, you know, type of justice. And what we saw is he actually takes public policy into account much more than we thought. We saw that with the transgender ruling that the court came down with mm-hmm. um, about six months ago. Yeah. And it, it really hit me when I was listening to the oral argument and I heard him questioning and he said, but, you know, but how is this going to affect the nation if we rule in your favor? You know, he actually considers that. There are many justices and judges over the years who say, well, that's not my job. I don't care how it affects the nation. The law is what the law is. Sometimes you got to look past that. You have to say, how is this going to affect America if we rule a certain way? Right. And, and it's a hard job for a judge. Judges have it tough. People don't realize that. Right. You know, they're humans. They have different theories. and They have different beliefs. Um, but I, I can only hope that uh, Chief Justice Roberts is able to uh, keep the institutional uh, independence that I think he wants to and that the court really deserves. And, yeah, um, and it's that's what's necessary. Like even, yes, they're humans. Yes, they have feelings. They have beliefs. That part. Like they have to, in in my opinion, they have to separate themselves right. from that and look at the law. What is the law? Well, what I think intent, I think right? there's a difference. I, I think there's a difference between saying I have to I have to separate my personal belief if it's in conflict from the law, right. and and I think that that's different from saying they have to look at how their decision in interpreting the law affects lives and affects uh-huh. people and affects America. Because I think the judges, when they make those types of decisions, they have to look at public policy. They have to look yeah. at the effect of their rulings, especially in the Supreme Court, where it, that, that's it. That's the end all be all, right? Yeah. What they say is what the law is. And they can then turn that around and flip flop it six months from now if they want to, technically. Yeah. Um, so I think that they have to, and I believe they have to take into account their feelings as a human in understanding how it will affect other humans. Mm -hmm. But I do agree with you. They also need to separate the personal beliefs if it's in conflict with the law clearly says. Right. Uh, And that's, I think, what what scares so many people is that maybe some of these justices won't do that as much, uh, you know, these days. as I think that was the fear with uh, uh, Coney Barrett. And and what you said about Mitch McConnell, he's smart. You know, um, he blocked, you know, not just with SCOTUS, but... With the federal judges, you know, the fact that that um, uh, Trump had the ability to appoint as many judges as he was able. 137 judges. It's it's incredible. It's incredible. Um, But there was a recent case in Texas that I was very worried about that ended up going up with the another uh, instance of trying to disenfranchise voters. It was the the drive through. Um, I don't know if you heard of this. It was like the drive through ballot during the pandemic, allowing people to come in. And it was then going to go up before uh, a very partisan judge. And then that judge ended up actually making the right decision and saying, no, those those uh, ballots do count. And so I was surprised. I was worried that it was going to go the other way. And so 
hopefully, like you're saying, that at the end of the day, even though uh, all of those judges were appointed, that hopefully our institutions right. and our rights will continue to be protected. Right. And, um, and I think it's important to remember that judges, you know, are for the most part have been judges before they are appointed to the federal bench. They've been judges in state courts and right. judges in administrative courts. I mean, of course, we know that there are a few of those, you know, 30 year old that, that Trump appointed that got pushed through, oh, have never been in court, never right. done anything. And, and, you know, I mean, it's, it's amazing. I mean, but look, then you look at, at Justice Amy, you know, Connie Barrett, and I've, I've tried more cases than her. I've yes. handled more appeals. I've yeah, litigated done, more than her. So, so, so that's a hard, that's a, but, but that doesn't mean that she's not qualified to sit on the bench. The Constitution doesn't say you have to meet certain criteria to sit mm-hmm, on the Supreme right. Court, but separate issue. But I think that when we, when we think about judges, we have to remember. Just because they have a certain interpretation or were appointed by a certain political person does not mean that they are always going to fall in line with that political person's beliefs right. or always be opposed to our political posture. And, you know, I know multiple judges that were appointed by President Trump um, to the federal courts, both at the district level and the circuit court level, uh, and they're phenomenal judges. They're great judges. Many of them who were down here in Broward and Dade, who I appeared in front of, were great judges and agree with me yeah. on very many things. So, you know, I, I, I think we have to be cautious and automatically assuming that a judge is going to do a certain thing simply because of who put them on the bench. Mm-hmm. That, that, is, that should not be the case. And I think we have to be confident that will not be. Oh, I love that. Well, I mean, I, I'm, I can take this positively only yes. because of we Biden just won. So otherwise, I'd be like, you're oh, yeah, crazy. No, no. If, if, Trump, if, if Trump had won, I would just say that, that the country's going to burn. Yeah, like, that's it. But I'm feeling a little bit more positive today, which is yes. not like me at all. So, oh, Jason, this has been amazing. Thank it's you such so a great conversation. Much. Thank yes. you. Oh, thank you so much for, for having me on. Really, it's, it's been a pleasure. And I'm so excited to know that the voting process uh, went the way it did and that I'm not still embroiled in litigation. Yes. And thank you for all of your work. My God, That's we're so lucky to have people work. like you doing this. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye. If you want to learn more about this week's guest, please follow the episode notes on our blog at themuckpodcast.fireside.fm. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Muck Podcast. To support The Muck Podcast, please visit our Patreon page. We have three levels of support and different goodies for each level. Muckraker, Policy Wonk, or Bleeding Heart. We can't do it without you. Music for The Muck Podcast, written and performed by Sean Doherty.